Philippians 3, 1 through 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those manipulators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who are worshipped by the Spirit of God, whose glory in Christ Jesus, and who puts no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day in the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisees, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistics, righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for those who sake I have not lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death. And so, somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, now that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. up our legacy series today and I hope that you've been challenged personally Uh, I hope that our church has been challenged to uh, be better at being difference makers in our community and in our world and and uh, to do that by caring deeply for people like Jesus did to do it by living bold lives of faith as the early disciples did and today we're going to talk about Uh, Doing that by making Jesus our subject. That that verse that plays on our sermon intro and that we find on the uh, the stone in the wall out there as you come into the church. As we've said, it reminds us that we, the church, are not this building. The church is made up of living people. It's a living temple. So we are the church and... 
Who did it say is the cornerstone, the foundation of that church? Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. He has to be foundational to all we're doing. And that's really what I want to share with you today. I mean, about in a world that has that sees so many of our churches fading and doing anything but thriving. Some of them are just trying to survive. We're talking about, you know, we want to not be a church that just survives. That manages to keep our name out there on the building, you know, out in front of the building. We want to be a church that's actually making a difference in people's lives. That Increasingly so. A church that is thriving. And, and maybe you, you hear that and maybe there's a part of you that says, really, Neil, is that realistic for us? You know, we're... Uh, you know, we are what we are. Most churches are what they are. You don't, uh, you know, maybe they don't change much or whatever the case may be. But I truly, I mean, I wouldn't preach this. I, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't believe that caring deeply for people makes a difference. That living our lives out boldly, putting our actions where we say our faith is, that that doesn't make some kind of difference. And the most important thing of all as we talk about this is this last equation. So let's look at some statements that we've made so far. We've said that when we care deeply for people, especially those we're not ex- who are not expecting us to, that we put the love of Christ on display to the world. We've said that when we live boldly for Jesus, radically doing what we say we believe, that will change the world. And here's our last statement of the series. When Jesus is our subject, the center of all we do, we will be a people of life and hope. Because that's what Jesus brings to the table, isn't it? If you found Jesus, then you found life. And if you found Jesus in your life, you have hope now that you didn't have before. Amen? And so sometimes, the reason that we have to say this about Jesus being the subject, I mean, that should be a given, right? I mean, that's what the church is about, so why even point that out? And yet, time and again, you look at churches who, and Christians, individuals, who somehow forget that along the way. And their priorities get kind of off kilter. And so we have to make it a point to keep Jesus as our subject and let the other stuff fade into the background. And that's the subject today. I don't know if any of you are like me, but I have kind of a tendency to get off on rabbit trails sometimes just in life, you know. And a great example, the other day we, we had a project going, well, a lot of you came to our open house uh, back in February and when you came we opened up our home to you and and showed you you know everything in the house right except for one thing I mean we showed you the living room and the kitchen we let you see the front yard and the backyard and the bedrooms and the bathrooms and Julie had that place looking great she's awesome like that and uh, I might have helped just a little bit but really all credit goes you know to okay anyway um there was one spot we did not show you. Pretty big space, really. Anyone remember what that was that you did not see at my house? 
the garage. <laughs> the garage stayed closed. Um, when we moved in, you know, you have to have somewhere to pile all the stuff when you're unpacking and moving, and the, gar- the garage was it. And uh, so as we unpacked, it just collected more and more stuff, and pretty soon it was winter and it was cold out there. And we said, we'll tackle that garage, you know, when it warms up good. And there's a nice spring day, and we can open up the garage. And it, Well, finally that day came. And uh, we had been putting it off for a long time. We got out there to clean the garage. We set Hadley up with some toys out there. We backed the cars out. This was cleaning day. Well, I was taking something from the garage that was supposed to be in the workroom, just tidying up. Went in my workroom, and I saw some, a shelf sitting down there that I had taken down, and I said huh, you know, that would be neat over my workbench. So I kind of was looking at it and thought, you know, I need to saw something off the end of this. Well, now, I'm not, I'm not a carpenter. I don't have a setup ready, you know, to saw it off. So I'm looking around for some tools to saw this thing in pieces. And uh, so I'm, you know, just busying myself with this. Julie's still out in the garage doing what we said we were going to do as I've wandered off down this rabbit trail. And uh, so I'm getting ready to like try to figure out how I can set up some makeshift saw horses of some kind and get this thing going. It probably would have taken me all day. I don't know. <laughs> Julie uh, came and said something along the lines of, "Is this really the priority right now, Neil? Uh, weren't we supposed to be cleaning the garage?" <sighs> so I take a deep breath, swallow some pride. Maybe pout for a minute. And then we got back to the task at hand. And we cleaned up the garage. It looked great. Probably if she hadn't have said that. And if I hadn't have, okay. And gotten back on task. All we would have probably accomplished that day was getting some more dirt on the floor in the name of sawdust. And uh, <laughs> just wouldn't have gone very well. So sometimes we just need to be called back to the point. Don't we? And I think even if you're not quite as, I don't know what you call ADD or whatever that is, as maybe I am, then I bet though still that there's been times in your life, right, where you haven't always had all your priorities straight. I mean, no one's perfect. None of y'all have been walking on water. So at some point in, in, in your life, you know, probably on a somewhat regular basis, sometimes the priorities get a little bit off, don't they? I mean, we all wrestle with that. I mean, at some point in your life, your, your job's going to become too important, you know, and, and it's going to take priority over your family more than it should. Or, or your kids are going to become more important and they're going to take priority over your spouse and you have to get that corrected. Or, or your hobby, you know, that happens sometimes too. Your hobby, what you lo- something you love to do and enjoy to do, it takes so much of your attention that you're maybe neglecting your job too much or your family too much or whatever you need to be doing. I mean, we're always fighting that battle, aren't we, of keeping our priorities straight. And the church is no different. It's just kind of a human tendency, I guess. But sometimes we also as a church forget what the priority is and we think that the things and the programs and the stuff that we have going on is the point. That it's the subject. And we get our priorities out of line. So it's important for us to be reminded. 
In fact, I've been reminded of this lately. Uh, next week, we plan to hand out uh, a newly proposed set of bylaws to you next Sunday. You have that to look forward to. If you've been having trouble falling asleep at night, we're going to fix you up with some reading material that is sure to do the trick. Uh, but as we've gone through this process over the last several months of planning all this and then the board and council looked at it and wholeheartedly recommended it that we uh, propose it to you and so forth over the last few months I find myself constantly praying God don't ever let these bylaws become the subject don't ever let this little project you know that, that sometimes it needs to happen stuff need, you know the the business side of things has to happen, but don't ever let that become the subject and distract us from what you're trying to do in our church. And so far, God's really been just answering that prayer in amazing ways. I mean, just the, the meeting that we had with it or with the board and the council, it just went so well. Great constructive critique, and, and, but in a sweet spirit. And just I've just been so thankful for the way that that's been going, and I continue to pray. And that's just one example of many things, you know, that can distract a church. There's, you've probably heard of churches that over something like that or something even far less significant like carpet color or paint color or coat racks or whatever the case may be. You know, they, they get into divisive arguments and something insignificant becomes the subject. And that should never happen. And so we've just got to pray regularly that our church... We'll keep our priorities straight. That Jesus will truly be our subject. And that's something that the Apostle Paul wrote about in that passage we read just a moment ago. So let's just dive into it a little bit. Um, I actually preached on this same passage back in, I think it was November. And I went back and looked at some of my notes. And I was surprised to find it was actually decent. A decent message, you know. I, <laughs> a lot of times when I look back at something I've done before... You know, if it's been a few months or something, then I think, oh man, Neil, you could have done better than that. You know, but this one, I thought it was all right. Um, if you uh, if you get a chance, you might go on cypressstreet.org/listen and look that one up. If you want, it's about faith motives, and it talks about you know what motivates your faith, and it's an important foundational question to ask. And uh, so, just a. If that strikes a chord with you at all, you might go back and look at it. But it was the same passage of Scripture. And I shared with you then, those of you with really sharp memories might remember everything I'm about to tell you again. But um, I shared with you just a little bit of context about this letter that we call Philippians. It's found in our New Testament section of our books, of our Bibles. And it's an ancient manuscript about 2,000 years old that was just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church that he cared about in Philippi, a place called Philippi. And it's a really neat letter. One of my favorite books of the Bible. And uh, just chapter after chapter of insight that is important and matters. But this particular passage, Paul's not too happy with a certain group of people. It's not even really the Philippian church's fault, it doesn't seem. It seems that some teachers have come to Philippi with a different sort of message than what Paul had taught. And this is one of Paul's soapboxes, if you will. One of his pet peeves. And it was actually a pet peeve of Jesus, too, when you read the ministry of Jesus. 
And what these teachers were doing is they were, these were devout Jews who had become Christians, but then they wanted everyone else to become a Jew before they could become a Christian as well. I mean, it just made sense to them that Jesus, you know, was a Jew and was Jewish. And therefore, to become a Christian, you needed to become Jewish. Now, the apostles had already met about all this. You can read about this in the book of Acts. They had a council about this, and they said, No, you don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. Uh, Jesus has made that clear. His Holy Spirit has made that clear. Uh, But that wasn't good enough for these folks, whom Paul referred to as dogs. Now, that was not slang for dude back then, (laughs) okay? He was not saying, hey dog, what's up dog? Who let the dogs out? Or anything like that. Not a term of endearment. No, pretty much a pretty low thing to say about anyone, unless they were a pretty low person. So Paul didn't think much of these folks that we know historically as Judaizers. I guess because they wanted to Judaize everybody, you know. But think about this. Philippi being a Greek community. If you weren't Jewish, then you weren't Jewish. I mean, you know, like back then, if you weren't Jewish, you weren't circumcised as a child. And so, you know, it's kind of a big deal to say you've got to become Jewish. I mean, how many of you guys here, if they had said, yeah, you can become a Christian, you just head over to Glenwood for an operation, and then come back and we'll hand you a list of a few hundred rules you need to follow, and you'll have to give up your pork. Sorry if you like pulled pork and that kind of thing, try the beef. But, you know, you're going to have to do some things different. You're going to have to become Jewish first, and then you can become a Christian. Now, how many of you fellows would have signed up for that in a heartbeat? Hmm. <laughs> No, thank you. And that's what these, they were just making it as hard as they could for these people to become Christians. Paul got so upset about that. But you know what's interesting? He went on to say and identify with those Judaizers. And he said, you know, I know where they're coming from. Because I was them. I was as Jewish as Jewish could be. I followed the law to a T. I had a position of authority and respect. I was a member of the Pharisees. We took the law seriously. Not only that, I came from a prestigious tribe within Israel. I was a Jew among Jews. But he goes on to say this. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Whatever was to my profit, all those things that gave me good credentials, you know, the my strict adherence to the moral code, my, my position and my authority and everything I had as a Jew of Jews, I consider all that 
lost now. In fact, I consider everything a loss. Now, is he saying that, I mean, everything's everything. That includes good things, along with the bad. Is he saying that all those good things are just now slightly less of a priority? Slightly less important, just kind of a little bit secondary compared to knowing Christ? Total loss. Rubbish. Garbage. Trash. If you compare it to knowing Christ Jesus as His King. As His Lord. In other words, Jesus is the subject. Everything else is just filler compared to knowing Christ Jesus as King. That goes for all the religious stuff. You know, I mean, religion is necessary, right? And it serves a purpose. The religious institutions, they serve a purpose because we need a place that we can come and live in community with other believers. We need tools that help us live this life of faith and so forth. Religion in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It helps us live our life of faith. But the great danger that religion has always come with is that people, we, tend to make our religious practices the subject. This has always been the case. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, you see God saying things through His prophets like, you're saying all the right things with your lips, but when I look at your hearts, they're far from me. You see, they made the religious practices, the things that they did, the subject. Or he would say, you're offering all the right sacrifices, Israel. But they're being offered from the wrong motive, with the wrong heart. And so they're worthless to me. Because again, they would make the practice of religion, the let's do this, A, B, C, and then we'll be right with God. Religion is not the subject. The things that we do, even the good things, even the best things that we do together, they're not the subject. And when we're not careful, we fall into the trap that the Philippians were struggling with, that the Old Testament people of God struggled with, and that churches all over the place still struggle with today. If we take something that's good and helpful, and we make it holy, and we make it the subject. Think about this in terms of your life, you know. Uh, when, when I personally make religion the subject instead of Jesus, my priorities can become things like strict moral adherence. That's what's important. I have to live my life just so, and anyone who doesn't is less than me. I mean, this, you get caught up in this morals thing. 
again, with all these things, are morals bad? Absolutely not. But they're not the subject. And when they become it, then we become people that aren't very pleasant to be around. I mean, things like praying before meals, right? And different things like that that are maybe a habit or a right for you. If we're not careful, it can become, you know, this is what we do, this is what we do. And and Jesus gets left out of it at some point. It's just this routine that we go through. Or attending church functions. You know, you can be at church every time the doors are open. That doesn't make you any closer to God. That's a heart matter between you and God. People can come, and they do. People have come to church, and then years down the road, people find out they're not even, you know, they've been involved in everything. And they don't really have anything to do with Christ. They just like the community, and they just came. And attending church functions can become the subject. Finding a church that blesses you, that feeds you, can become the point for people when Jesus isn't at the center. And so they go from church to church to church to church to church to church because they can't ever find a place that will give them what they're looking for. It's because it's only Jesus that can give us what we're looking for. Uh, Which version of the Bible you use? Have you ever heard someone just... This is the only version that matters. <laughs> this is the only one that should be read in church. This is, you can get to where that's a big deal for you and it's way out of proportion where that kind of stuff becomes the point. Or the kind of music you listen to can become the point. Or who you spend time with, who you hang out with can be the point. Or which denomination or affiliation that you associate with. That's a big one, isn't it? That can become the point. And all the other Christians, they're, you know, not, they don't quite have it right, like we do. Your position, or your title, or your influence in the church can become the subject, if we're not careful. Well, I give a lot to this church. So my voice ought to be heard. That happens in churches. But for our church, things get off kilter too, if we're not careful. And things like what time the service is held can become the subject. I've heard, I've heard a story that was reported to me as true of a church where a consultant came in and was talking to this church about some things they might need to change and talking to the board about some things they might need to change and the service time came up. And they said, look, you're holding your service at a a late time and that was good in an agrarian culture. You know, that's when churches started having their service times later. You could milk the cows and all that and still make it to church. But in this day and time, you know, the guys want to get to church and get out in time to watch football, (laughs) you know? So, you know, if you want families that aren't coming to church right now and aren't used to coming to church right now to start coming, you might need to move your service time up earlier. And one of the board members said, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. It's been that way since I was a kid in this church. We're not changing the service times. And the consultant said, well, just hypothetically, I know this is crazy, but just hypothetically, if you knew that someone was going to come to your church and be saved, if you just changed the service time, would you do it? said, no. This is what I'm telling 
This kind of stuff happens in the church. It sounds ridiculous to us. But when you're caught up in the moment, it doesn't feel ridiculous to you. It's because the wrong thing became the subject. Or musical styles. Or business meetings. Goodness. We all love business meetings. Church history can become the subject if we're not careful. Or church location. You know, you again, you can hear, you read about churches that, in, you know, the church ended up in a terrible location because of the way the city changed or whatever, but they weren't willing to relocate. Or their buildings falling apart around their ears, you know, but they're not willing to relocate. Because this is where we belong, you know. This is where it's always been. Or just the way we've always done it becomes the subject. Or boards and committees become the subject. Or preaching style becomes the subject. Finances can become the subject. Especially if we're not careful, you know, when, it, when you go through a rough patch or something. It's easy to get your eyes off of the point and to get worried about finances and suddenly finances become the subject. Things like memorials can be the subject. I was at a church once. I really don't know enough about the church to know if, if they made memorials their subject or not. But just looking around, it felt like memorials were the subject because, every, I mean, a window unit air conditioner had the little tag on there. You know? <laughs> In loving memory of. Maybe they really liked it cool, you know? Whether people eat, drink, run, wear hats... Look at you funny in the sanctuary. You know. Those kinds of things can become subjects. And you know, you hear stories about you know, a youth comes to church for the first time and they've been nervous about it and, and the first thing someone does is walk up to them, take that hat off. <laughs> and they never come back. I mean, just things like that where the rule has somehow become the subject instead of Jesus. Instead of being like, wow, this kid probably doesn't know anything about church. Look at him. <laughs> We better love on him and maybe he'll find out. But the priorities got all out of control. What do we do when our priorities get all out of control? I think we do what Paul said. Because he said, I haven't yet figured it all out either, guys. I haven't yet attained it, but here's what I do. He said, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the stuff that's been important to me in the past has to decrease because I'm going to focus on my future in Jesus. On your note cards, in your bulletin, you have this statement. Our past priorities need to decrease and our focus on Jesus needs to increase. Our past priorities need to decrease and our focus on Jesus needs to increase. And when we get to our response time here in a little bit, there's the, the question under that is, what needs to be a lower priority in my life compared to Jesus? And in a little while, when we're, the trio comes and sings... And you have some time just to sit there and reflect on what you've just heard. 
I want you to take a moment and think about what specifically could you write down that when you look at your life and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you look at your life critically, that you might say, you know, maybe this has gotten a little bit out of order for me in the way of priorities. And maybe that needs to decrease a little bit so that Jesus can increase a little bit. When Jesus is our subject, the center of all we do, we'll be a people full of life and hope. I was thinking, you know, what is it about Christianity? What is it about the church that breathes life and hope into people? Certainly not the buildings. Certainly it's not even the people. Because if that was the case, you know, I mean, like Gene and Donna wouldn't even be here because they'd have all the life and hope they need in their car club, right? (laughs) If people were all it took. It's not even the programs and ministries because what happens if you take Jesus out of the programs and ministries? You're just going through the motion. You're just doing stuff. You're to be busy. What breathes life and hope into people is Jesus. And can I be bold enough maybe just to suggest that churches where people go and they don't find a sense of life and hope in the building are churches where Jesus is not the subject anymore. And if if all you're doing is you're doing church and you're going through the motions and you're doing all the religious stuff that churches do, you know, and you come and you have your worship services and you, you know, and they're at that certain time and they follow a certain order that everyone's used to and then you leave. But Jesus isn't at the center of it, at the heart of it. Then people are going to come and they're just going to see a bunch of people doing stuff, doing church. And that doesn't offer anyone life and hope. So every time that we gather and every time that we go from this place, Jesus has to be our subject. Do you really believe that Jesus is enough? I think He is. He's the Son of God, isn't He? Who came and left his position to take up a lowly position on earth to save us. He's the Lamb of God. Sacrificed to wash away the sins of the world. He's the ultimate life and hope. Isn't he your life and hope? If you know him. Do we sometimes forget that after we've been a Christian for a while? Do we sometimes forget where we'd be without Jesus? How empty our life would be without Jesus? Do we sometimes forget the difference He makes in people's lives? So when we forget 
then our religion becomes stale. And our Christianity, our witness becomes stale. And when we rub shoulders with people in this world that are in desperate need of some life and some hope, they don't find it in us. Because Jesus is no longer the subject. But I really believe, don't you? That Jesus is enough. And if we just make him the subject, every time that we try to show someone that we care, if it's because Jesus cares for them, and they can see that in us, don't you think that's going to make a difference in their lives? And if we live our lives of faith out there in the world in such a way that people say, wow, they're, they're a little bit different. Because we're actually making Jesus the subject of our everyday lives. And he's the subject for us when we're at work. And he's the subject for us when we're at home. Don't you think people are going to see that? I just have to believe that if Jesus is radically made the subject of our lives and of everything that we're trying to do as a church, that we're going to make some kind of difference. Not because of us, but because of who He is. He is the Lamb of God who promises to wipe away every tear, to set everything right, to bring life and hope where there's death and despair, to bring light into our darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son to become the Lamb of God, Savior of the world. Forgive us, God, for the times when we've made stuff the subject instead of Jesus. Empower us by your Spirit to lift Jesus up as our subject so that our community and our world may find the life and the hope that we have in Him. Amen.